Hello and welcome to another episode of The Philosophy Guy. So today's episode is going to be uh, kind of where I review a debate I just did. Essentially what I do is, since I know not everyone has two hours to go and watch the whole debate on YouTube, I basically take my notes and I make a little quick episode about the debate. And also I kind of include extra stuff in there to kind of explain my points that I feel to do in the debate. And then also just have a more concise version because I know not everyone has two hours to listen to a debate. So if you still want to hear my arguments, this is the way to do that. Uh, and yeah, because I get it. Like, you know, I don't always have two hours to go watch a whole debate. So I like, that's why my motivation also for doing these shorter episodes, I like barely ever go above 30 minutes. I usually stay around 15, 20 minutes. And that's what I, I have my motivation behind that is it's, it's an episode you can listen to on the way to work. But anyway, so that, that's kind of my motivation for doing that today. Uh, so basically, I went on the Think Tub, Think Tub, Jesus, uh, Think Club YouTube channel, and uh, I debated uh, if if objective morality is true. I took the position that it is not true. That subjective morality is the reality we live in with morality, basically. Uh, and yeah, the debate went well, and it was fun. Uh, we did get cut up on terms. That's also why I want to make this version because basically the entire debate, although there's some fun joking around and whatnot, it was basically <laughs> to discussing terms and me trying to explain to him, explain, explain to Adam what subjective morality is. And we'll, of course, we'll get into that. So and that's also why I want to do it because I feel like I failed to explain the points, you know, off off the top of my my head, basically. So I want to use my notes and kind of go through those and try to explain things I think I failed to do in the debate better. Uh, And yeah, so I hope you enjoy the episode. But of course, before we dive right in here, you can help support the show, of course, on Patreon by, uh, you know, checking out the bonus episode feed. I I do various things there. Um, What other ways? Uh, There's the Amazon link below. Uh, You can... Check out or or subscribe to my email list. That is a good way to stay up to date with everything that's going on through the publication and the podcast and YouTube and debates and blah, 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 blah. And then Discord's a good way to chat with me. Uh, There's some good chats going over there on the Discord. Uh, And yeah, and also liking, subscribing, um, commenting on YouTube. That's a good way to help me out there with the algorithm on YouTube and watch time and all that good stuff. So I'm trying to build the YouTube channel just because there's a broader audience there and it's, I like the kind of the different format but I also love podcasting so I like to keep them I like to keep doing both with similar types of content but so there's that and then also right now if you could review the podcast go down and hit the review it helps me get on the trending page and whatnot and, and keep increasing in the rankings on the philosophy section all that good stuff but as always thanks for listening and let's let's get to it so objective morality so we have to start by defining some terms, you know, the really, the really fun part, or at least I have to demonstrate how I'm defining the terms so you know where I'm coming from, and then maybe if you disagree on the definitions, you can kind of see where I'm coming from and attach them to your definitions, if that makes sense. So maybe my point my point of doing this is, even if, let's say, you have a slight problem with a definition, you, even, even though I try to pick definitions that people generally agree with, um, by laying out the definitions... You can see where I'm coming from and how I'm defining things and how I'm attaching it to my arguments. So if you have a slightly different definition, you can still see the connection that, oh, maybe we agree, we're just talking about it with different terms. And honestly, and I, I, I phrasing it that way right now, and I wish I would have done this in the debate, is because I feel like Adam was actually with me on what morality was. 
but he was disagreeing on how to define like objective morality and how objective and subjective are connected to morality. So let's start with morality. So I would define morality as the principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong, good and bad, behavior, the claim that some value is better than another. So those claims, some it's it's those ought claims, what we ought to do with our lives, or, or not with our lives necessarily, that's more like a meaning, but what we ought to do to other people and, and whatnot. That's kind of the moral statements, how we should structure society morally and how we should treat each other, that type of thing. These are value judgments held by individuals and societies, and they're a proclamation of what is right or wrong. So, and then, of course, from that, that's where the discussion of objective morality and the subjective morality comes in. You have objective claims, and when I say objective claims, I'm connecting it to the morality part. Because there's there's objective claims and subjective claims just that we, we talk about when we're not talking about morality. There's objective truths and subjective truths, right? And you can connect those terms with non-moral statements. So in the objective claim, it's a claim or statement that can be proven true or false in relation to the universe, I'd like to add. And then, of course, you have subjective claims. These claims, these are claims that are not factual in relation to the universe. They don't exist outside the individual. So if humans disappeared, our subjective claims would disappear with it. It's what, I think of them as like narratives we create for ourselves and, and kind of like opinions and thoughts. So these subjective claims are expressions of an individual's beliefs, opinions, or, or personal preferences, for example, maybe even desires, depending on how we define it. So let's let's now we have those terms laid out. Consider what those terms are saying, and now we we're going to bring this to. So what is it in relation to subjective morality? So Adam in the debate, he seems to be a moral realist. I, I think he would be okay with that term. I don't remember what he actually said, and if we ever covered that part in the debate. But whereas I'd align with a more anti-realist position that claims morality is subjective, meaning. Morality is a human construct that can be altered, changed, molded, and pressed upon. So I'll try to explain this further in a bit, but I think I need to critique the idea of objective morality to hopefully force you to kind of accept the conclusion that subjective morality puts forward. So this is where you get into the idea behind the fact-value gap. So the subjective versus objective moral claims, the great moral divide. The idea where you cannot derive an ought from an is. And this problem was made famous by David Hume. So going back to before, the the subjective claims are ought statements. Like I described, ought statements directly relate to the idea of subjectivity, where objective claims can be verified. And once they, and verified in the sense that we can take the claim of what is objective or whatever your claim is of, of something being objective, and then compare it to what we have in the universe and then decide in relation to the universe, the reality we live in, if it's true or if it's false. So then once they are objective, like once they're objective, they're part of the universe. Like we, we know this new fact about the universe. So we cannot make objective moral claims part of the universe. And that is going to be my argument. And Sam Harris is someone that famously proclaims that that he has gotten around the problem. And uh, spoiler alert, I won't, uh, you know, <laughs> phrase around this too much, but he failed, and he failed miserably. Uh, he, he basically failed at a college freshman level. Um, it's it's something, I, I used to try to do this as well. I've tried to overcome the is problem. You cannot do it. 
It's just like a, you can call it a language barrier. You can call it whatever barrier you want. You can't do that in, in argumentation properly. So let's take a claim that most people would accept. We shouldn't maximize misery for everyone. Most people would accept that. They don't want to go around spreading a bunch of misery, right? While I agree with this claim that we shouldn't do that, and I will argue for it, debate people who go against it, this doesn't make the statement in an intrinsic part of the universe. The universe isn't saying we shouldn't maximize misery for everyone. There's nothing in the universe that says that, gives us those rules, right? And I want to bring it bring up Sam Harris because, you know, he has a influence over a large portion of the secular community, uh, and he often defends objective morality. And he's actually introduced people to this this topic, a lot of people to this topic. And although I think Sam Harris does have a more positive effect on philosophy than negative, because he introduces people to philosophical concepts, do not stop at Sam Harris. There is so much more to this this world of ideas, right? But anyway, sidetrack a little bit, but consider these statements. The universe is expanding. Humans and chimps share a common ancestor. We should decrease unnecessary human suffering. So I got these examples from one of uh, Sean Carroll's books um, as well. So if you want to check out his books, he's he's great on this. He's not he's not necessarily a philosopher, but he's a physicist. And I like to, and the reason I'm I'm using his examples, I like to borrow from fit like uh, people in more hard science areas, such as the like physicists and, and bi- biologists and whatnot, because when they dabble in philosophy, I, I take it as they have this other area of expert knowledge. And you can tell when they've actually done some reading in philosophy, so they're not just completely, you know, they might not consider themselves experts, but they actually know a lot about philosophy, and they're able to apply these philosophical concepts to what they're an expert in, such as physics, and Sean Carroll is a really good expert on what we kind of know about the universe, and I kind of trust his judgment there, so that's why I like to use his examples here. I like to, I like, I can really see the connection of his thinking in this, so I want to give you my motivation for using a kind of non-philosopher, I guess you could say. But anyway, so the universe is expanding. Humans and chimps share a common ancestor, and we should decrease unnecessary human suffering, right? All three of those statements, consider those. Most people would agree with all three of those statements, at least to, to some extent and to mostly, right? You know, maybe you don't like the phrasing or something, but you consider them, you know, mostly true. You would call them probably true. But are they true in the same sense, all three of those statements? You know, and, and think about this. Like, what is the difference between them? Do What do they share? Because they're not true in the same sense. The first two, the universe is expanding and humans and chimps share a common ancestor. Those two, in the sense that they can be false. If we lived in a universe that wasn't expanding, we could observe and verify that to determine if it's true or if it's false. We can imagine a universe that we lived in that humans and chimps didn't share a common ancestor. We could observe and verify that objectively as much as we can have, you know, objective truth, right? So the point is the first two statements can be updated based on the information we learn from the universe. We can we can recalculate more. Now the last statement, decreasing unnecessary human suffering. What experiment can we run to determine if we should or should not decrease human suffering? We can't. It's because this is a subjective ought claim. And the reason, like, and we can agree with that statement. Like, like, I agree with that statement. I don't want to spread unnecessary human suffering. 
because I know what it's like to suffer. I'm a human. I don't want to harm my fellow human, right? But the point is, is the universe itself doesn't have anything to say about that. The universe isn't here telling us not to make other people suffer or we ought not to suffer. The universe is only saying what is. It's only giving us what is. That's kind of the point. And I know it's kind of a difficult distinction, but hopefully as I continue to unravel this, you'll, you'll, you'll understand if you're, if you're not completely following. So the point is, is the first two statements can be updated based on the information we learn from the universe. Now, the last statement, decreasing unnecessary human suffering. What, like I said, what experiment can we run? Now, we can discuss and determine and evaluate methods of reaching the goal, preference, or desire of decreasing unnecessary human suffering, but this is, this is an independent of the original ought statement. So determining the best way to objectively fulfill your ought statement does not make the ought statement objectively part of the universe. That's the point. And this is the point that we got caught up on in, in, in the debate. You see, Adam was making ought claims that, for example, that we should um, follow our human inclination to reproduce and survive. That was his ought claim. But he was conflating the fact that that ought claim is also can be kind of rephrased to be an is claim. But he was kind of like skipping that step. He just thought they were kind of interchangeable, but they're not. Like that's the part, that's the problem with the is ought problem. They're not interchangeable. So to kind of lay this out. So like we can, we can, maybe we can verify and scientifically, you know, through evolution, it is a case that, you know, evolution is true, blah, blah, blah. Um, and evolution is showing us that humans are driven by the desire to reproduce and survive. And, you know, the, the, I add that survival thing. Basically, we want to survive until we reproduce. Okay. So we can accept that, right? But that doesn't, just because we, we were, we're kind of coded that way, I guess you could say biologically, it doesn't then follow from that is that we ought to reproduce, that it's like morally good to reproduce because that morality is this social construct of how we should operate in life, you know, and that, and that's the overall point. You can't go from that is to the ought. So that's, so, and that's where he was kind of using it interchangeably where he thought that, you know, you can go from that is to the ought and you can kind of use them interchangeably, like, oh, like, this is what the universe is telling us to do, so we ought to do it. But there's no, there's nothing telling us to follow what the universe does. Just because we, we can observe what the universe is, we can actually know what the universe actually wants us to do with, like, certainty. There's some subjectivity there. And, and also the fact, and we got into this in the debate, but there's a lot of issues there. If you take that idea of reproducing and surviving as a moral claim in the sense that that is our ultimate goal is to fulfill that. Because if that's the case, you can, you can justify a lot of moral harms, which I take issue with, and I think a lot of people would take issue with that being the foundational moral claim we follow. And me hitting home this, the distinction of is and ah is important because the natural world itself doesn't pass judgment. It doesn't guide. It doesn't plan. It definitely doesn't care what we feel and feels we feel ought to happen and that's reality and that's the distinction there see humans insert value judgments upon what we observe in the universe we make that logical leap and that logical mistake and that's the overall point 
you can't build off of evolution and make the moral claims. You know, you can like be, you can make ought claims, right? You can make an ought claim and then try to use is is to like kind of justify why you think that is the ought claim. Like maybe you could add data and whatnot to measure your ought claim and if we're achieving that ought claim. Like you can measure how you achieve the ought claim accurately. You can do that. But the point is that original ought claim, why are you following that? You can't take an is to justify that ought claim. You just keep going back and back and back like, well, why should we do this? Why should we do that? And you keep going back, why, 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 why? You can't justify that ought claim by using the is as part of the universe. So we ourselves can pass judgment about the world, others, society, how the world should be run, how society should be organized, sure. But the subjective nature of those judgments are going to make it the case that different people are going to end up with different judgments, preferences, beliefs, or opinions even how to achieve their ought claim. We have different ought claims of how we should operate. We could share certain beliefs, certain values, culturally or even just as humanity. And maybe they're, they're definitely, just because if, we, if you don't accept free will, they're definitely driven by the genetics in our makeup. Maybe they come about in a certain way, blah, blah, blah. Like that's why we have religion all throughout history, that type of thing. Like we can have similarities, but the point is, is we're still trying to extract something, some sort of meaning, some sort of ought from something that is, but that isn't the case that it makes that ought a reality of the universe. So it's like the famous, uh, there's this famous painter thought experiment where they proclaim they can create the color yellow, boasting that he can mix red and white together to make yellow. But when he mixed the red and white paint, pink came out. So he said, you know, I'll just sharpen this up a bit, the color up a bit, by putting in some yellow paint. Sure enough, the color began turning yellow. The painter's move is the same problem facing the is-ah problem. They sneak in the ought statement and proclaim, aha, look, this is our morality. This is the morality we should follow objectively. This is the truth. We continue to say this today with science, where we claim that we can agree on condition X, that society desires for the world. Say, for example, make the world a better place, a common one that people people put out there. And then they follow up, aha, you know, science, science can tell us how to achieve this conclusion, this condition. And then therefore, we ought to do what science tells us. You see... You observe something in the universe, and then you try to add the ought in. You see, the ought was snuck into the statement by proclaiming that we ought to make the world a better place. That's the assumption that we cannot verify with certainty. We cannot go out into the universe and say, we ought to make the world a better place. Like, where, where can we find that? We're, we're going to be looking around, and we're, we're not going to find that. That idea, if humans disappeared, would disappear with it. And I, and I want to remind people that I get it. These realities can be hard to accept. You want morality grounded in the world somehow so you know what's true, so you know what to be certain of. But we have as realities what happens in the world, the universe and the laws of physics. That's what we have to work with. And that's the realities we have to accept. An extension of that is we come up with moral theories from what we know about the universe, such as experience of suffering. And then thinking, oh, hey, you know, this sucks. You know, this experience of suffering. Maybe we should try to prevent this in others. So the point is, my point of making that distinction is, is it, it's okay 
if the universe isn't telling us how to operate or how to act or how to live life or what to do or how to be good to people and blah, blah, blah. It's us. It's for us to make up, for us to determine based on our experiences, based on what we, we, we can still do it on based on what we observe in the universe, but we shouldn't start saying, therefore, it's part of the universe. We just have to accept this subjective morality because the reason I want people to accept this idea of subjective morality, not only because I think it's 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 reality we live in, but also I think it's better than objective morality. Objective morality, people will then act as though, you know, you can't you can't alter it, you can't change it. You know, I have a, this like let's say you have this terrible experience with a subjective moral claim. You know, you you take that experience in. Let's say let's say a society determined that. Okay, so I, I use this example in the debate, but where there's this these tribes, and let's go let's go back thousands of years. These tribes, there's these headhunter tribes that their idea of of kind of having influence in their community was going out and cutting off heads and collecting heads from other tribes to show their toughness, so that they can go back and mate with someone in the community because they have a lot of heads. Heads were essentially like little diamonds back then, I guess you could say. So this crazy, abhorrent, barbaric act that we would call barbaric today, that was considered good. You see, now, okay, so let's say, let's say that the world starts seeing that practice as the good practice, as they, they collect all the data, they collect all the information to determine that act is the good act. That is the, the, that is the act for, let's say, your goal of reproduction. That is something what you, what you then ought to do objectively to reproduce, is go around cutting off heads. Wouldn't you, have, you would have a problem with that. You would have a problem with accepting that intuitively, right? And even if you put the objective part on there, it doesn't make it feel any better. And and if we start talking in the terms that it's objective, that you must follow it, then, you know, that, that creates human suffering in a way. So my overall point is, is that the assumption is that if we, we call things objective morality, that all of a sudden by calling them objective, now they're going to be good and we're going to want to follow them and, and all this. But the reality is subjective morality allows us to continually discuss, debate, recalculate, and think about and take in new information from the universe, take in new data, and reconsider, you know, how are people feeling? And as technology increases, as society progresses or evolves, I guess you could say, I don't I never like, for some reason I don't like to use the word progression anymore. But as we continue to, to evolve, we're able to then reevaluate our moral stances and then help decrease, let's say, human suffering and make people happier and live better lives and all this. The subjective moral morality part allows us to continue to re- recalculate. And I think that recalculation and that debate and discussion and being open to that idea instead of claiming it's objective morality and then you go and accept these objective moral claims, you know, they're probably not true. Um, you go and accept those and then you're more resistant to them changing or altering. So like people often object and say, well, if we destroy objective morality, then people are just going to go around and start raping each other. Well, you see, that's that's the problem is it's not you're what you're extracting from that is 
is you're still not accepting the realities of the universe. And I was trying to get to before in the sense that, you know, humans, you know, we, we have this idea of empathy in us that we're not going to go around treating people terribly all the time. There's not going to be this map mass rape epidemic all of a sudden. And when you destroy objective morality, first of all, and second of all, people, we know that people, humans want peace and they want some sort of sense of order. They don't like conflict. Humans are not conflict driven. They want to avoid conflict to some extent. And sure, you can you can take what were realities of like what we're driven by and whatnot, but the overall point is is we're still operating with our biological makeup and what we do. So then we can analyze that and alter our moral positions of what we think is good from what we take in from the universe. So the subjective morality allows us to alter those positions to fit what we need in the world. So my point is this, is that just because morality is subjective, it's still grounded in some sense in the reality we are forced to live by. Morality will always exist. Humans will desire place, order, a sense of freedom, purpose. That should make you feel comfortable accepting the objective truth (laughs) that morality is subjective and the world doesn't have these moral judgments. So, now, so I want to get into a couple of things and a couple of examples because I kind of feel like I just rambled there and didn't explain it. I did exactly the same thing I did in the bay where I got like stuck in my head on one point and I just trying to keep trying to explain that better and better. And I still feel like I just need to learn a better way to explain this. So here's one example. So like, let's say, I'm trying to think here. What, so Adam, so like Adam seemed in the debate like a moral constructivist and that ethics is made up by human beings and this isn't even saying that they are arbitrary the way we construct morality. It, it's saying that morality is influenced by evolution. Sure, we can say that. But in reality, our moral claims come out of us as, as judgments by definitions, not from some objective standard the universe follows. Or, sorry, the objective morality that the universe follows. So moral constructivism allows you to judge other moral positions on an individual and societal basis. So let's say you want us to continue following this idea of, of reproduction and survival. The moral constructivist would be able to say, okay, let me evaluate what we should do morally on a moral basis. What well, claims we should insert to help achieve that goal. And then we can also use objective measurements to see if those ought claims are being fulfilled. That does not make those ought claims part of the universe. It doesn't make it the case that we actually ought to be reproducing. Like there's no, the universe isn't saying that we should continue existing. You know, the universe is continually just randomizing evolution and whatnot, but there's no, they're not, it's not guiding us. It's not directing us. There's no intelligent design there. So I think people have this ideal where if objective morality is achieved, then once a, a disagreement is found, this objective standard will show then why they are wrong because you know one is objectively right and the other is objectively wrong. And that's that's the big difference there is like in science, like you can kind you know, you can way more accurately do that. But in morality, it's much harder. We don't have that and we and we never will. Now someone could say, I have the desire for X maybe a desire to help as many people in the world learn how to read. We can formulate a plan that might be objective in achieving that goal, but it doesn't make that goal objectively good or objectively good as relation to the universe. And that's my point.
See, Adam is, was describing a framework that objectively measures a subjective moral framework, such as improving human well-being. So, you know, some say we are born with these ops within us, these desires, these impulses for maybe how the world works, and then maybe it's influenced by society or molded to fit based on, you know, your perceived preferences. This is a fair point. However, this only demonstrates humans' pre-existing bias to commit the is-op problem and proclaim them to be good, true, the values we must follow. And that's a problem. It's, it's not It's not good reasoning. And that's that's the problem with you can't get around the is-op problem. So my overall point is basically, you know, that we should continue, that we should always keep coming back to debating, discussing, looking at data, and looking at science, and looking at different social science fields, psychology, philosophy, for morality, we, and, and discuss the morality we, we choose to live by, maybe limiting suffering, maybe increasing human well-being. If we agree, these these coming back to, to analysis is the best way to determine this system does does objective morality become subjective morality? And that, and it's kind of my overall point. So I know I kind of rambled and I'm actually not really happy with how I produced this episode, but I'm probably, <laughs> probably going to upload it anyway. Um, so I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'm also open to more questions and thoughts and all that good stuff. So please shoot me those. But as always, thanks for listening and peace.